This is the second in a series of podcasts for Tech Research Asia, Cisco and Datacom. Hi and welcome. I'm Trevor Clark from Tech Research Asia. Thanks very much for joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit around security and joining me is Matthew Everts from Datacom, Ronnie Hamill from Cisco and Mark Isles from TRA. Um, Security, I've just been looking at uh, Have I Been Pawned, uh, the website, and we have over 10 billion accounts have been hacked. So more people than exist on this planet. Um, obviously, we've all got multiple accounts and so forth, but you know there are some where we've got over 700 million accounts from individual sites have been breached and hacked and put out there in the wild today. Things are changing in security. And perhaps, Matthew, let me start with you and ask, what do you see that's changing between you know, previous years and as we move into the current shifting environment and hopefully post-pandemic environment that we're starting to move into. Yeah, sure. I think the uh, what we're really seeing this year is an acceleration of a trend that we've been seeing for a while, and that is that we we can certainly no longer rely on the on the perimeter, uh, which was you know very much that traditional approach to security. We would put a fence up and um, hope that everything stopped at the fence. And I think that that is uh, taken a big step forward this year or, or backwards, depending on how you look at it. Uh, whereas before we, we were seeing kind of an incremental shift away from the perimeter, um, now the perimeter is, you know, as much as it's still important in some contexts, it's, it's all but disappeared. Uh, I think we've also seen, uh, you know, a, a real a real spike this year in terms of just the aggressiveness of some of the attacks and, and you know, a lot of people listening will be well aware of that. And I think smaller countries like New Zealand are sometimes flown under the radar a little bit in the past and, and that's certainly no longer the case. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good point. Sometimes I hear people today talk about the perimeter being the actual data itself. The data is the perimeter. You've got to protect the data more than anything else. Um, Rodney, what about you? Where, where do you see things changing from, from your perspective? Yeah, definitely. I think it's moved to the, um, as, as Matthew said, it's moved to the user. So security has clearly moved to the user. We're seeing a bit of a trend away from VPN access because as people are using more and more SaaS services, there's no point bottlenecking them through your corporate data center. So um, as people start to access applications from their devices in their houses, um, as we've kind of all moved to this work from home scenario, you know, how do you protect that user? So the whole posture and the whole concept of zero trust around the user is really something we're seeing um, come to the forefront. Um, the other thing we're seeing um, come to top of mind is around cloud security. Because if you, if you have a look at the history as to what's happened, a lot of the big security breaches have been misconfigurations. They've been um, APIs that have been uh, inappropriately set up or configured. People have accessed you know, things like storage buckets in some of the cloud providers because they were misconfigured. So it's no longer worrying about my perimeter and my user. Now security has to worry about where is this app? And how are people accessing it, um, and how is it configured? So, mm. I think that's the other big trend we really start to see come in, and people the concept of what we call workload protection. So, how do I get wrap some protection around not just my user, but around my workload at the same time? Mm. I think okay. too that, that <laughs> really highlights how important the the understanding of the business's risks are, right? Because if they understand where those risks sit, we can we can actually try to protect them. Whereas before, we try to keep everything within the fence and say, well, let's protect everything at once. And the reality is that those workloads are often distributed, you know, across huge area, and and there's lots of different ways that they can be accessed. And so the the approach to actually protecting those has to shift along with that. 
Mm. Mark, what about from from a from a market data perspective? Um, I, I know Rodney there mentioned a, a couple of examples of how things have uh, incidents have occurred. What do you see from the market data perspective? Is there anything any trend lines that you've noticed? Uh, yeah, I mean the trend is is up in most things, unfortunately, from an, a, an attacks point of view. Uh, and the other trend that we're seeing from if you like from market data is how people are actually thinking about security because the the challenge is. As workloads start to move around, applications break up. You know, you break an application into containers, and the security implications of that are completely different. So we've got a lot of customers really struggling in the marketplace to actually figure out how do I apply any degree of consistency to my security. Uh, if I've got workloads in public cloud, in private cloud, people working from home, actually just trying to be able to say where am I? So what is my current status as an organisation with regards to security? So if you're doing a a summary view of you know security governance that's being presented to the board. How do you encapsulate that? How do you provide any type of consistency to your security policy when literally workloads are moving sort of almost every week as you start to migrate and change, and then everybody work from home, as Rodney pointed out, and suddenly the entire environment is is completely diverse. So trying to get consistency across a diverse uh, landscape is one of the certainly one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing um, customers talking to us about. Yeah, I, I, I would, a consistency point, I think, is a, is a really strong one because one of the things that we see as well is people chasing tails consistently. New threat, new tool, new threat, new tool, new threat, new tool. And you, you're suddenly starting to put in place a, a, a bit of a hodgepodge of, of different uh, approaches to trying to solve um, fundamental problems. Matthew, how do you see, what do you think people should be doing in that regards, are you seeing that same trend of people getting new things and then, hey, we've got another tool to solve this, we've got to patch this, we've got to patch that, and it's basically catch up the whole time rather than being a little bit more proactive? Yeah, definitely. I, I think people can fall into that trap of playing catch up. Uh, and also, you know, we're still seeing organisations deploy tools without really getting the value from them, you know, not necessarily configuring them the way they should or deploying the, uh, them to the right number of endpoints um, or the right breadth within the organization and then not monitoring those tools either. So it's just another tool generating another bunch of alerts which are not necessarily getting seen and, and responded to. So yeah, definitely a more proactive approach is needed for a lot of the organizations out there. But, uh, you know, back to what I said before, too, also a real understanding of where the actual risk lies because they can't solve every problem all at once. Uh, for most organisations, that's that's essentially impossible. So if, if they can understand those risks a little more, do a little bit of a, a roadmap in terms of what risks they should be addressing first and then be, be quite uh, deliberate about how they, how they pick those off and address those. And that also enables them to... Um, be more deliberate about the the investment in those security tools as well, how they deploy those, yeah. and and it, it might show them too where they can actually divest of some tools um, over time while they put some some newer, more modern approaches in place. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've, um, we've the same thing from CIOs as, as well, Matthew, which is the, the concept of you know everyone knows security is important, so typically CIOs asking for more budget for security generally tends to get approved. And then the question is, well, are you just spreading peanut butter on toast? You know, some CIOs we start saying, yeah. if you don't understand your threat landscape, how do you know where to spend the money? And otherwise, as we say, you, know, you end up playing whack-a-mole with just trying to solve one problem and another point security solution that, as you say, just triggers a whole bunch of new alerts that you can't look at and take feeds from either. Absolutely, yeah. 
Rodney, let me ask, ask you as part of this then. Um, I often think, I agree with the whole idea of understanding your environment. I think a lot of people don't do that frequently enough or they get pen testers, it's the same pen tester, just the same approach every time. Um, but I think a lot of the pen testing doesn't really address the cultural aspects of security at the moment. The examples that you mentioned earlier on, from my perspective, are people mistakes, typically. They're mistakes that are made not necessarily maliciously, but they may be just made out of error, out of uh, process error, out of just people, you know, not paying attention on a given day, whatever it may be. Um, what do you think people can do to address that cultural aspect of security? Because the research that we've done kind of indicates that that's our biggest challenge at the moment is changing the way people think about their security first and foremost. Mm. It always is, isn't it? Because that's like changing the culture and changing um, and bringing people on that journey is is a big part of the challenge that we're seeing. We're, we're seeing that um, acknowledging that the human part is probably the weakest part. We're seeing that this is a, a problem needs to be solved at machine scale. We can't solve this at human scale. And even if you did change the culture of people, with the amount of security threats and incidents and alerts that are happening, how can people actually address them all. So I think, uh, Matthew, you kind of highlighted around uh, alerts that aren't acted upon, um, because it's probably not acted upon because there's just an overwhelming amount of number of alerts coming at them. So um, we're looking to solve for this. We've, we've made some big investments at Cisco in a platform we call SecureX, and it's all around how do I bring all these alerts into a single spot, put some AI onto it, um, automate as much of it as I can, and, and then basically give the humans the important stuff and the stuff that needs um, policy changes or some other business critical changes. Otherwise, we're, um, we're going to be chasing our tails uh, again and again. Please go ahead, Matt. Uh, I think certainly where we're heading is uh, to a situation, or, or certainly what we're aiming for, is a situation where humans are really only seeing those alerts which require manual intervention, require actual remediation. And, and we may never get there, but that's certainly where we want to be. And that that almost all of that uh, that other noise uh, is is either discarded because it is noise or where it can be acted on uh, by a machine, then let's put some automation in place to make that happen. Yeah, I, I, I think the way I've heard it described to me is, is trying to avoid swivel chair syndrome where the user is actually consistently moving okay we've got an alert over here i've got an alert over here i've got something else over here so trying to stop that you know multiple views and just let them focus on the the really core aspects of of defending the organization and the organization's users and, and its data um force first Trevor, and foremost if i could um, add one yeah. thing to that sorry if i could add one thing to that too i think with the problem with alerts as well is alerts only alert for what we know about so it's, um, it's like we have, it's the unknown here that's the big threat. So because yeah. you know, the people who are writing ransomware are getting a lot more sophisticated. So how do we actually detect that in flow? We don't, the zero day sort of exploits and these sorts of things that are uh, we're seeing more and more of. So uh, at Cisco, we've tried to use a network as a tool for that. How do we see um, what we think is malware in encrypted traffic as an example? So as traffic passes yeah. through the network, we can say, hey, your, your, your company is operating in Hobart, Tasmania. Um, why have you got traffic in your network that's got a certificate signed from Russia with a host in Iran and with a server hosted in San Francisco? This, this doesn't seem right. So uh, that's obviously 
something that probably shouldn't be on your network. Um, we don't know what it is, no alert gets generated because it hasn't really been triggered, but how do we stop that sort of stuff from coming in and, um, and use the reputational data that's been collected by a variety of players around the world to really give us some really deep insights. So. How do you translate um, the types of outcomes that a business needs when you talk about security, when you're going through and trying to look for those investments, whether it's an investment for more people, um, whether it's an investment for you know uh, re-architecting your platform, whether it's an investment for an education program, whatever it may be. I think one of the biggest challenges at the moment is a couple of years ago, there was lots of money available for cybersecurity budgets. People were spending lots of money, but we're starting to see that you know, this, the spending is still there, but the focus when it comes to an ELT, an executive leadership team or a board, is starting to slip again in our perspective. Um, how do you articulate a, a new business case as we go forward at the moment? Because as you said before, Rodney, you, you're going to be, you don't know what you don't know in security. And I think that's always the area. You can come back and say, hey, we haven't had any incidents. We haven't had this. Our performance has been X. We've had uptime of Y. You know, we've got no problems. Um, but you don't necessarily know that and it's that time when that ransomware email comes through and says, hey, we now have control of everything. So my point being, you can say everything's great, but you don't know and you're very likely to be hit. So then how do you translate that into saying we need to spend more money or we need to have a greater focus of, as an organisation? Um, I tend to find there's a lot of FUD still going around and a FUD messaging when it comes through to security. So the fear, uncertainty, doubt sort of approach to things. So you start to get fatigue from the board and the executive. Hence why I'm trying to get my long way of actually asking, how do we break that? How do we get back to a point where it's still, there's an urgency today. There really is an urgency because it's still happening. We have so many uh, attack vectors in place. We have a shifting environment in terms of where we're placing workloads, the type of data that we're collecting, how critical that data is to what we're doing, all those things that we know. What is your advice for anyone who's looking to say, okay, we need to do something about our security. How do we articulate this through to the board? Uh, let me start with Mark, first of all. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Is that We actually worked with some uh, some customers recently who are looking at security as a differentiator. So it's, you know, we often look at it, it's a little bit like uh, the analogy would be sort of airlines, you know, is, is success not crashing? So, and that's the problem with security, right? You know, no incidents happening at all probably means there's an incident that's happened that you don't know about. So we've got almost the wrong lens on security with, you know, it's trying to keep everybody out. We all know you, there's no perimeter anymore to any of this, but actually refocusing it to be, is it, can it be a differentiator for your business? Uh, and also thinking about the customer experience that's provided with security. So everything around education. So it's really more about that customer experience. So if you actually pivot the lens from being, we're trying to prevent things and you know we're constantly out and we use terminology like alerts uh, to, to actually being, what can we do here that provides a more secure environment for both our data and for our staff that actually could act as a differentiator for us as a business. And unfortunately the FUD isn't going anywhere anytime soon. You know, there's a, we all know there's a million small security players out there. All of them are trying to sell their own point solution products to customers and that FUD's going to keep happening. So we're going to have to find ways, and I think for, for all of us here talking to customers today, you're going to ignore the noise and actually focus on what role does security play in your organisation, but with a different lens. Matthew, what about you? What's your take? I think uh, we, we do need to spend more time talking about upside. Um, so to Mark's point, 
you know, is security a differentiator for you? And what we are seeing in the marketplace now is that some organizations are realizing that by doing security well, it better enables them to do business with the other organizations and uh, government departments who are also security aware and value a strong security posture. So immediately that gives them a competitive advantage by having invested in security. I think uh, there is a better discussion happening about risk too, where risk is actually being quantified. So instead of just the FUD, where there's, there's no real quantification around what it means for the organization, let's talk about risk in the context of that actual organization. And I think uh, that risk also needs to be tied back to the, the value in the business, right? So we all know that uh, data is extremely valuable to almost all businesses. Well, um, what happens when that data is affected? Uh, what happens to the, the actual monetary value of the business or the valuation of that business if it's being uh, sold or it's or it's already part of uh, some, some kind of stock market? So we have to do better at quantifying those and that's going to make it a lot easier to build a business case around security. In saying that, I do think we need to shift the perspective on how we spend money on security because for a long time it's been a bit of a peak and trough situation. Business cases presented, we're going to spend X million dollars on security, then nothing gets spent for a period of time and then some kind of event means that we want to spend a whole bunch of money again. But I think it has to be much more, uh, much more closely aligned to a maintenance scenario. So we maintain planes so they don't fall out of the sky. We put life jackets under the seat in case they do. And I think for a long time, we've just been buying the life jackets. We need to move into more of a maintenance mode when it comes to security. Do you, do you put much value in current cost of a breach calculations that are kind of generic put out there in the market at the moment? I see people reference these quite frequently and I'm, I have my, my questions about them. How do you rate those cost of breach approach to doing things? I mean, I think they're a useful starting point, but at the end of the day, the, it's the variance between each organization is just so huge and, and also what actually gets affected for an organization. So one of the things we're working on at Datacom is how we better protect um, heavy industry. So in that, that whole operational technology uh, space. So the cost of a, uh, a power station going down, for instance, is, is astronomical where they could probably afford to have a breach at a workstation level as long as it was contained to that workstation level and it might not be such a big deal. A breach of a workstation in a legal company where they've got some very sensitive client data sitting on that workstation, whole different story, right? So I, you know, yes, useful benchmarks maybe, but really does need to be contextualized for that organization. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would I, agree I, with that entirely. Um, Rodney, how about yourself? What do you think we need to do to, to shift the perception and shift the, uh, the way we can invest better in, in security for our organisations? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things um, that we uh, we need to do. I mean, Matthew touched on one, operating this maintenance mode. So knowing that um, a lot of security breaches that occur are caused things uh, of known bugs, of known deficiencies of software or firmware that should have been updated a long time ago. So how do we get our operational um, insights coming? How do I actually get insight to, from all what the vendors I'm working with, what I need to, what updates I need, how to operate it? So I think that's one part. 
Um, the other part is, was a lot of focus on the prevention. So I'm going to put in firewalls, I'm going to use SASE for my uh, SD-WAN uh, to really help my, protect my end users. And we're going to do things like um, uh, workload protection in the cloud, all, all around prevention. Um, but it's like, what, what, where's the cure? Because you can bet your bottom dollar for every bit of prevention you're putting in someone's, uh, the bad guys are investing probably more to find a way to get in. So if they do get in, how do you, how do you recover? And I think uh, Matthew touched on it, but things like you know, data protection and how you're actually managing that in your business need to form a key part of your, um, of your cyber strategy because then you're informing the board to say, hey, we've, we've got a ransomware attack, but we can roll back to five hours ago and lose five hours of data. Or we can roll back to two days ago and lose two days of data. Um, or we don't know, we've got no, all of our data's gone. So I think if data protection is actually um, a key part of your cybersecurity strategy that you're presenting to the board, then you're presenting the board with scenarios they can choose from. Okay, this is, you know, we've got all this from a prevention perspective, but from a cure perspective, this is how we'll respond. And we've seen some really high profile cases lately where they've just had to pay the ransomware demands mm. because they never had the data protection. And it's the data that people want. Um, so mm. we've seen this happen where people are actually, um, I don't actually, it's interesting. I think it's probably not necessarily people want access to the data. They want to prevent you from accessing your data. So maybe your data may be inconsequential to what they're trying to do. They're just trying to disrupt your business and stop you from accessing your data. So it's not really, um, and once upon a time, I think people were scared about what happens if my data gets into the wrong hands. If I'm a law firm and I'm representing some clients, someone takes that data and, and they've got insights or IP that I've, that I've lost. But now the threat is I can't get to my data because someone's stopped me. Um, and that's where, that's where I think you need to have data protection as a key part um, in the discussions and actually give give the board um, give the board the options. I think everyone no one likes everyone likes to tell about the problem, but I think people like to hear about okay, here's the problem. What are your suggestions? What are the scenario? And that's more powerful, yeah. I think, in a board scenario because then they can make informed decisions around the business as opposed to seeing this mythical big spending on security. I, uh, I don't think any strategy can just be about the prevention. So, you know, just supporting what Rodney was saying yeah. there, you know, a security strategy has to have that response and recovery aspect. And we are seeing a shift in maturity in that regard. You know, more, more organisations are understanding that response and recovery is, is a key part of that strategy. But it's certainly uh, a journey that a lot, a lot of organisations still need to take. I think it's a. I think it's a great point. I think um, uh, talking of the ransomware guys, I think in some of the cases that we've seen, the ransomware organisations who are actually conducting the attacks often have better service and better ability to help translate. This is what's going to happen to your business in financial terms if you don't pay the ransom that we're asking for. So being able to explain what that actual issue is and give them the service, and then also give them posts experience if they have paid or you know they've gotten around it this is what you need to do to now go and patch and fix your environment fix your system so that it doesn't happen again some of that service has been fantastic from that side from the actual actors side of it the malicious actors side of things so it's kind of a um a really big 
part of you know understanding that you are going to be hit something is going to happen so you do need to have that response in place i'd actually suggest also that we're seeing a really good trend in the industry at the moment around people who in the past when people were hit it was let's lock everything down let's not have any information shared outside the organization we're not going to tell anyone about this we got hit so oh no the brand is going to be really impacted i actually see the good thing now is people are changing they're going no we did get hit and there's a level of transparency where people are saying, okay, this is what happened to us and this is what we're actually doing to try and fix it. And this is what happened, you know, post-event, they can actually do a chronology and share that with their peers so their peers can actually start to get better best practice in place. I see that as a great change in the community. This whole, you know, let's not tell anyone because everyone will get really scared and all the rest of it or, you know, um, security by obscurity, people didn't know about it so therefore we'll be okay. Is finally starting to well it's still a long way to go on that but i think it's starting to shift out where we're starting to get a lot more openness around security and you know we're, we're stronger together um and let me just ask one last question then uh, for all of you before we finish things off is if you are going to do something now going forward what's the one key thing it's always hard to say what the one key thing is but if you're going to give some advice what is that one key thing you'd be giving to your customers today let me start with mr isles yeah, I knew you'd start with me. <laughs> so uh, one, one key thing is hard with security, right? Um, but if, for most for most companies, me, I think understanding your threat landscape, understanding the threat matrix that applies to you. So not the threat matrix and the, the, all of the different threat vectors that we know that are out there, but actually what is the context of your organization? So understanding your own threat vectors to some of the points that Matthew made, I think is a great place to start for most organizations. Matthew, how about you? Yeah, really just build on what Mark has said. Uh, I think uh, understanding your organization in the context of security is super important and particularly not just looking at it from a technology perspective. We still see organizations falling into that trap a little bit. So let's look at, you know, your security risk right across the organization, whether that be users uh, like what Rodney was chatting about before, whether that's endpoints, whether that's, uh, you know, certain critical systems you've got running in your organization, look across the organization and then make some investment decisions. So if organizations are going to do one thing first, I think let's just make sure you've got a, a really clear understanding of that security risk. Great. Rodney, great. what about yourself? Yeah, Trevor, I agree with, you, with both Mark and Matthew. They're really good, really good points. And just to be a little bit different, um, I think the other thing to pick on something you said is share your data. Um, there's, you know, from a Cisco perspective, you now we run um, Talos, where we consolidate data from customers who are running Cisco networks to look for threats. So if one customer was um, reports a penetration or some sort of breach, it goes into, into a centralized cloud-based system, which can then push it out to everybody else. So I think that uh, it's, the, it's the sharing of the data and, um, and it's not to your extent where you're saying to uh, next, come out publicly and say something's happened. I'm saying there's basic things companies can do um, and the data they're seeing on their network is critical to be able to um, correlate and collate security events to prevent it. And the more we can all collectively prevent things from happening, the harder we're making it for the bad guys. So um, I think that before, great for both Mark and Matthew said, but yeah, I think sharing you know, your data and, and being open around what's happening is, is a, key, a key thing for us all at the moment. 
All right. Well, thanks very much, gentlemen. Um, some great points there around security. Obviously, we could keep going and going and going. I think it's a it's a it's a dynamic place to 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 look at, and uh, certainly a lot of challenges for people uh, going forward. But um, do appreciate all of your time today, and thanks very much for your thoughts. Great to have all of you listening, and thanks to Cisco and Datacom for joining me today. This was Trevor Clark from Tech Research Asia. See you next time.